get a clue. <laughs> Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, we praise you. We look forward to all the opportunities that are before us. God, I pray that you would use us in a mighty way, that you would help us to make a difference in eternity. God, we thank you for this day. God, I pray you would use us however you see fit. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. There's been a murder in the house. And I accuse Colonel Mustard of committing murder in the library with Candlestick. How many of you ever played the game? You know, it was uh, Parker Brothers' hit game, and it's Clue. It's a game of intrigue, of mystery. It's upside down. (laughs) Someone needs to get a clue. (laughs) But it's a a game that uh, there's been foul play, and it's a game that tests whether you have deductive reasoning or not, and it allows you to use your abilities as kind of a sleuth. Basic objective is to really answer three questions, and that is, who killed, do you know who it is that dies in the game? Mr. Bobby. Mr. Bobby. Yeah, yeah. And you got to figure out, was it, was it uh, Professor Plum, Colonel Mustard, Miss Scarlet, Miss White, or Miss Peacock? You know, who, who is it? And in what room? You know, the study, the ballroom, the hall, lounge, kitchen, dining room, conservatory, and what's the other one? Come on, billiard room. Someone said billiard room. And how? A candlestick, a lead pipe, a knife, revolver, rope, wrench. And if you can answer all three, you win. You win the game. There's been a murder in the house. Who? Look around you. Go ahead. Look around. Look around. Look at the person sitting next to you. Go ahead. Look down your row. Take a good look down your row. What what do you see? I mean, it's a diverse group of people. Well-adjusted, some not so (laughs) well-adjusted. Average, Midwesterners. I mean, look one more time. Because, friends, we're all suspects. There just might be criminals sitting in your row. In fact, they may be sitting in your seat right now. We're talking about people that take the lives of other people. You know, we've been looking at different games, and uh, we love playing these games. And they're, they're fun. They're challenging. But, friends, when a, some of these games are taken and played out in real life, it creates all kinds of havoc. Things get a little twisted, a little messed up. You know, what starts as a game gets pretty serious, pretty costly, sometimes tragic, not much fun. There's been a murder in the house. 
You know, Scripture says you shall not murder. And I know as I'm, I'm saying that, your minds are going, whoo, I'm good on this one. I'm good on this game. I can kind of tune him out. You shall not murder. That has nothing to do with me. Some of you are going, Damon, get a clue. Get a clue. I've never murdered. I've never maimed. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I even practice catch and release when I go fishing. I mean, for goodness sakes, I'm good on this one. But friends, there's been a murder in the house. And every one of us is suspect. Every one of us, it's just possible. We've been a part of a murder. I mean, since the beginning of time, men and women have wielded knives and lead pipes and revolvers. Why? To take others' lives. You know, I think about Hollywood's poured billions into this industry called entertainment. You know, movies like Seven and Departed, Silence of the Lamb. You know, primetime, there are so many CSIs on now, it's like overload. New Amsterdam, Bones, all those things making murder entertainment. We act out violent tendencies in games like Mortal Kombat, you know, Killer Instinct, Grand Theft Auto, one of the biggest sellers. You run over pedestrians and innocent people, hunt down the enemy, dismember and tear them apart. And as you leave that screen going red, those that are into games, you're loving every moment. There's just something about death, something about murder, something about killing that intrigues all of us. It it captivates us. And it's obvious when, when God said, you shall not murder, he was saying, you don't have a right to take another person's life. You know, we're made in the image of God wonderfully. We're the crown jewel of creation. Scripture says we don't have the right to usurp. God's authority to step in and take someone else's life. You know, the word murder in Hebrew, it means wrongful killing. And it's important you grasp that because this is different than capital punishment or war or self-defense. That's another issue for another day. But, but the, those precepts and those principles are talked about in Scripture. But we're talking about wrongfully killing, wrongfully causing the death of someone else. There's been a murder in the house. First homicide, Genesis 4. You know, Cain, he's jealous of his brother Abel. And God saw what was going on. And it's interesting if you read the story because God saw Cain's frustration. He saw his anger. And and you find God trying to have a conversation with him. And, And he's saying, Cain, don't do this. Don't do this. Talk to me. Listen. Chill out. And yet Cain kind of tramples God's counsel, and he ends up killing Abel in a field. First murder. God knew about it. God knew when it happened. He knew who, he knew where, and he knew how. And it's as you read that story, I mean, it is truly, truly fascinating because Afterwards, God goes to Cain, and he says, where's your brother Abel? And I love Cain because he kind of plays clueless at this point. 
I don't know. You know, am I my brother's keeper? And God clues in on him big time. He says, you killed your brother in the field. You got blood on your hands. You're a marked man. And it's a sad, sad, sad story. Thou shalt not murder, obviously. Interpretation to willfully take someone else's life the wrong way. You know. Jesus comes along. And he's going to up the ante. Jesus is going to say, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. Physical killing. He says, we're going to take this up a notch and talk about verbal killing. He says, you've heard it that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who so much is angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother an idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is, what's it say? Words kill. Jesus says, you know what? There's more than one way to murder someone. It's not just physical. You can do it verbally. And if you track verbal killing back, it always, as you follow that maze, it always tracks back to a thing called anger. You know, unchecked anger in in your life and mine. I remember uh, as a kid, and I think I've shared this before, but it was a story that they, they shared in our children's church, and it just stuck with me through the years. But uh, this guy, he's spreading gossip and rumors and slanderous stuff about his priest. And so he starts feeling guilty about it. So he goes to the priest, and he, he asks for forgiveness. And the, and the priest said, well, I'll forgive you, but I need you to do a couple things first. He said, I want you to get a feather pillow. I want you to go to the top of that windy hill, and I want you to dump all the feathers out and then come back and see me. He says, then I'll tell you what the next thing is. So the guy did. He got a pillow. He went to the top of the hill. He dumps all the feathers out, and he heads back to the priest, and he's like, it's pretty easy. It didn't cost much. Pretty simple. He gets back to the priest, says, I did it. I'm done. You know, what's next? What do you need me to do? And he says, well, now I want you to go back to that hill and collect all those feathers. He says, you're kidding me. That's impossible. I can't. And the priest, being wise like he was, says, words roll off your tongue, and they drop like feathers. And once you say them, It's kind of impossible to get them all back. And that stuck with me through the years. It it kind of embedded my heart. I mean, do you have any feathers flying? You may be floating around, maybe maybe in, in your marriage, maybe in the office, maybe in the neighborhood, maybe in your school, somewhere in your life. See, you can wield more than a wrench or a sword. You can kill with words. You can kill with comments. You ever, have you ever been slain by slander? Have you ever killed someone with your words? 
you know, just took their legs out from under them. You know, Leviticus 19 says, do not go about spreading slander among your people. It's funny. It's funny how slander goes. It runs in packs usually. You know, I say, show me where people gather, whether it be at a, a company or a team or a gathering at school or even at church, wherever there are those times when the venom flies, when the feathers drop, when the innuendos and the, the falsehoods and the truths go out. Why? To hurt someone. To hurt someone. And I, and I hope you caught that because that really is the definition of slander is telling the truth about something, telling a little bit of truth, in order to hurt, in order to take someone's life. You know, the Old, Old Testament, there's a great story of uh, Miriam. Uh, she's the sister to Moses and Aaron, big heroes of faith. And Marion's pretty cool, but then she hits this point. They're out in the wilderness wandering around. You know, they did that for 40 years, around and around and around and around. And she got a little frustrated. And so she starts slandering her brother, Moses, dropping feathers, you know, doing her thing. And it's interesting because God deals with it pretty harshly, and he drops leprosy on her. I mean, I'm going, whoa, and, and please do not hear me saying something I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying slander and watch out, what are, you're going to get a disease. That's not, that's not the point. My, my point is that God says, this is serious stuff. From God's perspective, this is big time stuff. You got to be careful, you know. Shift gears a little bit. David, David, uh, he has a relationship with King Saul initially. He's good friends, in fact, best friends with Jonathan, who's Saul's son. And I'm always telling you when, you, when you read Scripture, one of the things you have to do is put it in context because it usually helps you understand what's being said. So David, David's young at the time. He's just defeated Goliath. Big-time victory. I mean, people are going going crazy that he he stepped up and they they're they're in kind of awe. And God taps David on the shoulder and makes it known and says, "David, you're the next king." Saul he's kind of insecure, so he loses it, and he wants David out of the way. In fact, he wants to kill David. Now, something you've got to keep in mind is Jonathan is the heir to the throne because he's the son of the king. Jonathan had a lot of reasons and opportunities to to slander David, but he doesn't. Scripture says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, and this is interesting, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. Actually, he did what Saul should have done. And that was face off against Goliath. But it's interesting because Saul, Saul's kind of slandering, kind of ambushing, and really he's just abusing David. He's trying to kill David. Jonathan stands up to his father and tells the truth. And I think of all the people, Jonathan is the one that you would expect to, to slander David. 
And, and he could have, without even saying anything. He could have, because he could have remained silent. He could have been quiet. He, he could have blended into the conversational scenery. You know how this goes, right? I mean, we've all done it from time to time. Out on the golf course with friends, maybe at the mall, and somebody starts shredding somebody that you know, maybe a friend, in order to hurt him. And sometimes we're just silent. And instead of doing the right thing, instead of doing the Jonathan thing and stepping up, we're silent. See, sometimes you can be silent and be slanderous. And I know how this goes because you go, well, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. I, I don't, I don't want to stand up. I don't want to take sides. Well, friends, friends take sides. There's something about being loyal. You know, Jonathan, Jonathan could have remained silent, but he doesn't. You know, what kind of words flow off your tongue? You know, words that honor God, words that build up others or tear them down, words of truth or or partial truth. You know, do, do we let the feathers fly or do we take the other posture and kind of blend in to the scenery? You know, I say either one of those is not good. Life's way too short. So Saul wants David out of the way. David gets wind of it. You know who tells him? Jonathan. Jonathan says, my dad's after you. And so David goes on the run, and he, and he flees to the tabernacle of Nob, we're told. And there he meets the high priest, uh, Ahimelech. And uh, the priest is, is scared to death. Because you need to remember, David is the toast of the town. David is kind of the Tiger Woods of the day or the Michael Phelps of the day. Everybody's paying attention. And Ahimelech sees David. He gets a little panicked. He goes, David, where are your bodyguards at? David says, I'm on a secret mission for the king. Now, David lied. He just flat out lied. And he justified it by the idea that he was going to keep the priest out of the crossfire. Because if he told him why he was really there, he was going to have to choose between King Saul and David. So he just says, look, I'm on the king's business. And that would prove to be a lie that David would regret the rest of his life. If you read through scripture, you find him looking back at that day. He asks the priest for food and ammunition. They give him a sword and some some food. And he leaves, and as he's walking away, he notices Doug over in the corner eavesdropping. He knows he's heard everything that's happened. And he also knows he's going to run back to Saul. Now, Saul gathers all of his advisors and counselors and priests and everybody together, and he's ranting and raving, and, I mean, he's mad. No one says a word because they're a little afraid. God's anointed David to be the next king, and so they're afraid of Saul. They're afraid of David, and so they're just silent. 
Doug comes racing back. He can't get back quick enough. And he says, I saw Ahimelech with David, and he gave him food and weapons. He told him a little bit. Saul, being impulsive like he is, he sends guards after the priest, has the priest brought to him. He accuses him of being a traitor. And he pleads his case. He says, David said he was on the king's business. And Saul said, I heard different. And not only are you going to die, but your whole household will die. And history and scripture record 85 people died from his household that day. First, he was killed verbally, and then he's killed physically. And and it's not what Doug said. It's really what he didn't say. He knew the whole story, but he told part of the story. A little innuendo, a little change, a little shift. Truth, but not the whole truth. He left a few things out. Why? Because he wanted to hurt David. He wanted to be seen as something larger in the king's eyes. And friends, it's serious stuff. Serious stuff. You know, Titus 3.10, it warns the church. It says, you know, this stuff's so serious that once you should confront someone on the issue. Twice you confront them. The third time, you should just send them on their way. You know, speech, speech is so powerful. It's a gift from God. It makes a difference in whether you can praise people or curse people, whether you lift people up or tear people down. You know, I shared with you many times that looking back in my life, there are those times that you get marked very young, things you remember. And I remember the very, very first time I saw slander at its, at its worst. You know, I was at Ponce de Leon and elementary school down in Key West, Florida. We, my family had just picked everything up and we had moved to, to Key West. And uh, I remember being, being there first day of school. And all the guys, you know, I'm trying to kind of figure out where I fit in. And the guys are talking that are in my class. And they're like, Damon, you won't, you won't believe this. I said, there's a girl named Sherry in this school. Ugliest girl you've ever seen. I thought all girls were ugly, to be honest, at that age. But uh, it was like, I remember them just setting up. I was like, I was almost terrified to meet this girl. And they called her Shark Face Sherry. I had never met her. But I thought, she's got to be bad. I mean, the the guys were ripping her apart. They were describing her, and they were laughing and making fun of her. And I remember the very first time I saw her. She was coming down the hall, and she was cowering because the kids were screaming at her. Hey, shark face. I didn't know sharks had glasses. You know, Hey, you think maybe you could like take a bath next time you're out on the reef? And friends, I'll tell you, I watched that girl cower 
and it's burned in my memory. I got to know Sherry, Sherry Brooks. And I'll be honest with you, I wonder what happened to her. Because I watched a girl that was a nice girl, wounded, wounded, deeply wounded, with a thing called slander, a thing called words. You guys, anybody know a Sherry Brooks? You ever been Sherry Brooks? There's pain with words. This gift that God's given us of speech. You know, God says, we're not to verbally take another person's life in a wrongful way. You know why? Why doesn't God want us to do that? Well, one, we damage ourselves. We damage others. It damages our relationship with God. It trips us up. Friends, there's been a murder in the house. There's been a murder in the office. There's been a murder at school or at church or in your neighborhood. And the weapon? Weapon of choice. It's called words. I mean, how do you keep from being a suspect in this? There's a couple of things I think we've got to do. One is you've got to come clean with God. You know, to ask God direction, to confess the, the sin of murder. That's even hard to say, isn't it? But we've all done it. You know, to go to God and say, you know what? I murdered so-and-so in the restaurant with, and I was with so-and-so when I did it. You know, I murdered so-and-so at the gym or at my house or in the backyard talking to my neighbors, and I did it with my words. You know, I, I murdered with this mouth. I slandered other people. I stood silent, and I didn't participate but I murdered just the same. You know, this isn't an easy one. You know, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 31. Let's read this together. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. There's more to than just saying to God, okay, I, I give up, all right. I'm guilty, no more. I mean, there's really work that needs to be done in all of us. And I'll be honest, usually something we've been a part of for a long time, we don't change overnight. You know, repentance in a moment, it usually doesn't take a long-lasting effect. The fact is, you usually have to work at it. You have to strive at it. You have to come clean And then you have to analyze your anger. I think it's very, very important. I mean, the maze of murder always goes back to a thing called anger. You know, back to the story of Cain and Abel. You know, God God tries to intervene with Cain. And if you read the story, he wants him to analyze his anger. He wants him to confront it. He wants him to take it on, head on. And basically, Cain elbows God out. And he, and he just kills his brother. And so he's got all this rage and this anger and this frustration and jealousy and whatever else was going on. And God's going, I know what you're feeling. I want to help you with this. 
And I, I truly believe that if Cain had paused and finished that conversation with God, that God would have helped him with the anger, that he wouldn't have killed his brother, that things would have turned out very, very different. I mean, he just wouldn't have went there. You know, I always tell people, when, when you have those moments where you know your tongue's about to turn loose, you know, pause. Go read the Psalms. The Psalms are a great place because it's really people like you and I that wrote the Psalms. So many times the, the Psalms start off with, you know, the, the person's anger or they're, they're kind of picking a bone with God or yelling at God or whatever, you know. God, get them, you know, take my enemies out. Wipe them off the face of the earth. Destroy them or whatever. And what's interesting, if you read each chapter, it may start that way, but it does a 180 at some point. It takes a 180 in some place in that, in that text. You know, the psalmist Asap, uh, he, he wrote a lot of the very distasteful psalms, the ones that you read and you go, ooh, there's a lot of bitterness in this. And he just vents. He just vents. And you'll read the first few verses, and he's just unloading, and he wants people dying, and he wants them to die a painful death. And, and then it's interesting, because you get to the end of, of one of his rants and raves in chapter 73, and he writes this. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. You ever been there? Just whatever it is you're going through is too painful to even deal with hardly. But here's the key. He goes, until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their ends. Conversation with God. He does a 180. It happens over and over and over again through, through the Psalms. I've seen it in life. It's been my personal experience. You know, I think sometimes people think, well, as a pastor, never lose your cool and, you know, never let them see you sweat, that kind of thing. And I usually, I go down to my office and I have those conversations with God. And I rant and I rave. I know it's hard to believe, right? But I do. I do. And it's interesting because after I kind of get it off my chest, then God says, why don't you come in the sanctuary? Why don't you come in my presence? And then God begins to do work in me, and that's where it needs to happen. And I find that I walk out of that office very different than the way I go in. Friends, if you let God, he'll help you analyze that anger. You don't want to be a suspect. One of the things you have to do in life is watch your words, watch your comments, watch your slanderous remarks, watch the things that, that you, you say, the things you don't say. You know, guard yourself there. Spend time in God's word. You know, I said God, God's word is full of so much wisdom. And God's word is there for us to read it, to dissect it, to study, to understand it. And it's also there to pray it, you know, to make it a prayer in our lives. Psalms 19:14, the psalmist writes, it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Now, I want to hit a pause button here because anytime I've ever talked on this topic, I'll have people go out afterwards and they'll go, okay, so what you're saying is never say anything bad about anybody ever. That isn't what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. You know, the, the fact is that sometimes you should speak up. You know, there, for instance, uh, if you've got a good friend that owns a business and they're getting ready to hire someone that you know has destroyed the last five businesses they've been a part of, you owe it to them to give them a heads up. You know, I've been in those situations where somebody's engaged to somebody and that person is like in la-la land as to what reality is, and they're about to marry someone that run, 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 run. You, what do you do? See, motive, intention, What? why are you saying what you're saying? Is it to hurt someone? Because if it is, you've got to stop there. Or is it because you know it will keep someone from being hurt? So what I'm saying is don't leave here and go, well, pastor said, never say anything about anything to anyone about anyone. And that's not what I'm saying. You know, something that's a pretty good practice. You know, those times when it's like, okay, should I say something? You know, is I'll find a good friend that I trust that's mature. And, you know, I'll say, hold me accountable on what I say. Hold me accountable for what, what I'm doing. And you have permission to challenge me in this area. And does this make sense? And to just share with them. And if they say, that doesn't sound right to me. Sound like selfish motives. Sound like you're trying to hurt somebody here. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. If if you've been killing someone with your words... First, you got to own it. You just got to own it. You got to got to come to terms and say, you know, that's what I did. You need to confess it to God. You need to ask God to to give you the strength and the courage to go talk to that person. Ask them to forgive you and just put it out on the table. In other words, what I'm saying is to try and make things right. Now, understand you may not be able to make things right. You may not be able to repair the damage that's taken place. You may not be able to repair the relationship. But you try and get things clear, at least. And I know, as I'm saying, some of you are going, but I've been a victim of this stuff. And what I would say to you, loud and clear, is you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. I mean, you can go to the person and try and clear the air. You need to forgive them. Even if they didn't ask for it, you need to forgive them. And I know as I'm saying that, some of you are going, "Ah, if you knew what they did, they don't deserve it. They might not. Probably don't. But you still got to forgive it. You got to forgive it. Why? Forgive each other 
just as Christ forgave you. See, we don't deserve God's forgiveness, but God gives it to us anyway. And friends, nothing will tie you up more than when you're not willing to forgive, even if the person doesn't deserve it. In fact, that's usually when it gets really ugly. Now, most of you know I I love playing hoops. I mean, I love basketball. And uh, a lot of times people don't know I'm a pastor, and I get playing ball, and afterwards they go, what do you do for a living? I say, well, I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, and you play like that, you know. Because I get pretty rough, you know, I get in people's face. And I, I'm pretty aggressive. But sometimes guys get talking trash. Sometimes they challenge calls. And sometimes things get just out of hand. And then finally someone gets teed up, you know, technical foul. And, and what I'm wondering today, is God calling a technical foul on you? You know, are your comments killing somebody in the kitchen technical or something you're saying killing somebody in the hall or in the dining room or in the study or at school or in the office or at church technical god says it's not acceptable you know make the psalms your prayer Psalms 19.14, this ought to be a prayer that we embed in our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in the sight of the Lord. I would challenge you to give people the benefit of the doubt, to see the very, very best in people, not the worst It doesn't take talent to see the bad things in people. Find the good things. Gravitate toward those. Watch the feathers that fly. Watch the comments. Watch what you say. Because otherwise, you're going to find yourself playing a sad little game called Clue. There's been a murder in the house. It's been murder by words. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, we don't even like saying the word murder. Just something that sends chills down our back. Yet God, words have harmed all kinds of people. God, forgive us those times that it's our words that are killing, that are hurting. God, forgive us the times that your spirit was calling us to speak up and we were just silent. God, I know there are those here today that words have sliced and diced. and God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would pull alongside that person, that you would bring healing, that they would recover from whatever's been said. God, I pray most of all that we would all seek one another's forgiveness, that we'd reach out to those that we've hurt or those that have hurt us. God, I know you have a plan for all of our lives. God, we thank you for the opportunities you give us And I pray that the 
words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.